First thing I remember knowing was a lonesome whistle blowing and a youngin's dream of growing up to ride. Oh, rest in peace, Merle. Rest in peace. We are going to miss you. We lost a good one here, folks. Merle Haggard passed away this week, and uh, that was, of course, Mama Tried, his his country hit. I mean, he had many hits. What a, what a life that guy is, has led. We're going to miss you, Merle. I wanted to start the episode out with the little Merle. It seemed appropriate, you know? How are you doing, Nantucket? Welcome to Inside the Whale. I am Doug Cody. I am your host of Inside the Whale, Nantucket's first podcast. I hope this episode finds you guys doing well. I hope you're busy. Today is April 9th when I am recording this. April 9th, 2016, I should say, the year of our Lord. It is a sunny spring morning here on Nantucket. It's a Saturday. I hope that you're out doing things that are important. If not, you're enjoying the weekend. It seems like the island is in ramp-up mode. Some restaurants are now opening, and uh, we're gearing up. Daffodil Day is looming, and uh, before you know it, folks, we're going to be in it. And we're going to be at the intersection being like, oh my God, where did this traffic come from? Either way, I hope this episode finds you well. Thank you for the click. Just jotting some things down. Uh that are important, and uh, you know, that is important. It's important to write things down. Keep a history, right, for yourself. Do you journal? Do you guys keep notes? Do you make notes to yourself on a little uh, pen and paper? Do you, have a, do you have your moleskin, or how do you keep recorded history for yourself? I do it. I write things down all the time. I have notebooks upon notebooks of musings and Thoughts and bad ideas and good ideas and some song lyrics and some stupid jokes and some not-so-stupid jokes. And uh, I make lists. Sometimes it's good to make lists, you know? Make lists of people, people you like, people you hate. Make a list of things that are important, things that are not important. Make a list of things that impress you. Who impresses you? Who doesn't impress you? What makes you angry? What doesn't make you angry? Just make a list someday. Try it. It's very therapeutic. Anyway, I guess it's important to just write recorded history, right? For yourself. Who knows? 20 years, 50 years later, some of your family members may find it. They think, huh, this guy had some things to say. He had some visions. I don't know. But I guess it's not for everyone, right? But uh, I'm sure Nathaniel Philbrick, my guest on today's episode, writes things down. Right? Do you? What a talk we had. That is my guest today, everyone. Nathaniel Philbrick, the author uh, the acclaimed author took the time to sit down with me. What a conversation. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I was really uh, a little nervous to sit down with such an accomplished writer. You know, I've said this before, I'm, uh, I'm enamored with writers. I, I'm, I just have such a respect for that art form. The patience and time that it takes to write a book is intense. And then you look at Nathaniel's work, his body of work, uh, historical writing, and uh, he's as accomplished as it gets, and he's a name in the industry as a historical writer, which is interesting alone because he doesn't consider himself a his historian to speak. He, uh, I, I called the episode uh, kind of jokingly, uh, Confessions of a DIY Historian. You know, he kind of did. He just jumped in. And, you know, it's a commitment to history, and that, it, you know, history is there for all of us. And uh, very few decide to jump in the way Nathaniel has. And uh, 
he he's he's done it with such a unique take on it, and he's been able to make it palatable for uh, a lot of us. Because you know, I just I hadn't read any of his books. <laughs> I, I should say that. And then uh, it's, as I'm recording this, I'm in the middle of uh, Why Read Moby Dick. You realize that his writing is uh, is truly uh, entertaining and unique, and uh, history can be pretty dense. And he's been able to really make it palatable for. Uh, did I say that right? Palatable for all of us. And uh, you know, my, I guess my point is that uh, it, it's a big undertaking to write about history, and Nathaniel certainly is a guy that's uh, jumped in headfirst and done an amazing job in it. And uh, just having him on this podcast is a is a huge, huge feather in my cap. I can't thank uh, him enough for taking the time to sit down and talk. Such a great conversation, and uh, we'll get to it. Let's, uh, let's not waste any more time. You're going to hear us when we first start talking, in case you're wondering. Uh, we're talking about, uh, we had just found out that Merle Haggard had passed, so you're going to hear that. So with that being said, guys, let's do it. Let's go inside the whale. Guys, now you might whale. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises! In 365. <laughs> I mean, that's just, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, God. I mean, that's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah. 79, he died of pneumonia. Well, you know, and I've, I've had friends who've died of pneumonia and know when you're in that state, um, you can will yourself to die. I mean, I've really, yeah, yeah. It's, You've been with someone that had, that yeah, well, why well, I, I knew someone uh, who had pneumonia and uh, they told me the night before, this is it, I, I can't take this anymore. Oh, and, shit. and they died that that night so wow. I, you know listen that's just one one instance but um i don't but know. I mean who, I, just, I have no who knows where he was coming from and even right? the the fact that you could even do it on your your uh you're dying on the day you were born is you know it's uh it's well he might have been going for it that's what i mean it puts you in the catastrophic uh legendary status you know if you can control you know i want to die on my birthday well, hey, if he could end up doing a, a liquor ring in prison. In prison. He we, could arrange we should pretty much this. anything. We're talking yes. about Merle Haggard, who we just learned has passed away today. And uh, we will do a, a, a proper tribute to Merle uh, and just doing a little backstory. And I know Nathaniel is a big fan of uh, Outlaw Country. And I was just yes. doing uh, some background checks on uh, Merle reading his story and he apparently was not only was he arrested for trying to uh, he was arrested and then tried to break free escaped and then was arrested again in prison for running some sort of alcohol ring <laughs> yeah getting arrested in prison in that prison, is pretty cool that's pretty yeah, badass yeah, yeah that's an outlaw so we are gonna miss you Merle uh, I hate to start out on a bad note but uh, anyway Nathaniel Philbrick is here on Inside the Whale and I didn't uh I should start by saying all your awards that you've <laughs> that you've acclimated over the years, uh, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Well, yeah, I was basically uh, what they call runner-up or something. So you know, it's like. But you like, didn't win it. I didn't win it. So Sons of I was bitches. N- <laughs> no, it's what well, I, you, well, it's I, an honor I, to be considered. So listen, man, I did some tons of background stuff 
I, but I wanted to come clean before we started that I have not read any of your books. Great. This is a really refreshing change <laughs> for me. So, so I, have, <laughs> I, I, have, uh, I have no reference for any of your books, but uh, I did do the homework, though, I, well, as far as um, – This is radio, and I'm used to this. Speaking <laughs> some guy that has no anything. idea what you're talking right. about. Yep, yep. It's, you know, you've, you've, you've figured out some questions. So here, here we're – I know gonna, how this goes. Well, you know, in doing that, I, I definitely went in and I watched the uh, – Almost to ad nauseum, the amount of uh, all the speaking engagements that you've had to, to do. And I'm thinking, <laughs> the pleasure to, and I'm and I'm thinking like, invited to, yeah. oh, and I understand <laughs> like what that entails, the amount of going there and having to just constantly. And do you ever, in those talking lectures, do you ever feel yourself? All right, I'm hitting this point again. Here we go. I'm going through this section. I'm going through this section. And you're like, oh my god, I sound like a broken in your head because you've talked about it so much. Well, you know, when you get on book tour and you do 30 events in that many days yeah you know you are but you know I think it's like a musician with a song and um, it's actually really hard for me to figure out how to speak about a book it's a completely different side of your brain and it takes a couple of times to figure out what I want to say how I want to say it and because I, I don't do it through notes I just riff it and once Ooh, it, I like that. And once it it gets going, it's fun, and it's always different every time. And I never quite know where I'm going. It's always a little different depending on the audience and all that. And so, so I actually kind of enjoy it. Um, I really enjoy going back to the bookstores I've been to in the past, uh, seeing readers that I haven't seen before. But yeah, it's tedious the travel and all that. But the event itself is never a hardship. It's um, it's I enjoy it just because it's for me it's I'm having a little fun with it right it's just because of, I don't know what I'm gonna say right just did that lifestyle too traveling it's a lot of uh, complimentary uh, breakfast buffets yeah well you know I most of my <laughs> quinta inns and stuff and well it's schizophrenic for me I you know as a writer I see nobody but my dog for 10 hours a day and really don't socialize much and then the book comes out and I go on these tours and it's just the opposite and I kind of need that. I, Interesting, I, I, because you've been holed up for so yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, and I really enjoy the writing and the research. I, I, I just love it when I'm in the midst of writing a book. It's There's nothing like it. And yet once that's done, I really enjoy getting out there and, and sharing it. And, uh, you know, it's not without its its traumas and, and Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's the worst part? What's your least favorite part of the book tour? Um, well, you know, the, it's, it's always... Uh, you know, you, you when the reviews start coming out, that's always a little oh tense. Boy. You know, what's coming up next, that kind of thing. Um, and and initially, when it's you don't quite know how the book is going to get received, and um, and if you're a paranoid type of person like I am, you, you assume everybody's going to hate well, you've it. Been, you've been <laughs> lucky, my friend, because I tried to find. I wanted to. I wanted to find someone that was like Phil Brick really shit the bed on this one. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to find something, but it's all accolades. Well, yeah. So you've done a good job. Well, no, well, yeah. It's it it it's it's gratifying. There are those out there, but you know, it's it, what it is. It's 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 sharing something that you've spent at least in my case three years trying to figure out and write about and and it's and it's an intensely personal process and um and so sharing that is not is is great but it's also it's funny it's reveal it's talking about something that's been such a private thing uh for all that time and so it's um you know it's it's great it really is but it's it's it has its um challenges in a way uh you know i'm not 
I've become a lot more outgoing than I was. I grew up a very shy kid, and it was really hard for me to talk in public, really to talk to much of anybody. And um, and so this has been a learned process for me. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in, uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I went to a big uh, city high school. Steel Town. Steel Town, and uh, grew up in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh, and uh, went to the same elementary school as the writer David McCullough. Okay. Uh, who was, you know, he's considerably older than I am, but, uh, and yeah, and so I was a, it was a big, big city high school, uh, and I was, you know, kind of a shy kid. And no sports. I, I ran track my senior year, and that was great. I really loved that, but it, it, so were you the kid in the back of the cafeteria reading books, like thumbing through history yeah, books? Yeah, pretty much. I had a, there was, it was big enough that there were a group of about five guys like me, you know, and none of us knew how to really speak to one another, but, you know, we just Aww. sort of, <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was, no, it was, and so, so the, this whole aspect of, of going out on the road and talking has, has been something I've, I've sort of gradually learned to do, and it's been really good for me, and, um, and as consequence i will be forever grateful for the opportunity to, to go out and to, do that yeah yeah and to learn how to do it now were your parents in academia my dad was a, a english professor at the university of pittsburgh and my mom was a kindergarten teacher uh, okay. in, in, in the public school system. and brothers and sisters i have a younger brother sam uh, who's just under two years younger than I am. Where's Sam Philbrick? Sam Philbrick is in Manchester by the sea, uh, north of Boston. I say Manchester by Manche the money. Yeah. And then he says, yeah, you live on Nantucket. How dare you? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yes, that's, uh... But and Sam's very, Sam's a, a banker, and uh, but was, uh, in, in addition to an economics major in college, an art history major, and he's always been quite artistic. In he's a, a painter? I, he 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 draws and stuff like that. I think he's gonna you know as as he ages out of of you know he's gonna get more and more into that, and um and you know he reads my manuscripts and stuff, which is really great. To, in many ways, he's kind of like my archetypal. You bounce things off him. Yeah, uh, he's he's the kind of he's he uh, guys like him are a lot a lot of people in my audience just a lot like him. And, it's, and he's brutally honest, being a brother. And, uh, Isn't that really so? I find that so helpful. Oh, it is. Someone that Absolutely. will say, you know, this this thing. I'll I'll show. There's a couple friends I have. I can show them and say, yeah. what do you think of this? Even with this podcast, yeah. I'll ask them. Say, hey, have you listened to a couple episodes? Do you have any notes yeah. for me? Because I and right. they'll tell me like, you know, that it, I had a friend tell me he's like your intro the uh, two episodes back. I don't <laughs> think you need to. I was talking about the the bombings in Brussels had just happened and yeah. he said you know you shouldn't really be talking about the that kind of stuff stay away from politics Doug it's not your bag of tea and yeah. at first I was like you know what? but then I, I trust his opinion and he's probably right well and, and <laughs> for me that's um, because my wife Melissa she listens to every chapter she's the first one and I read it to her uh, after dinner uh, while she's doing the dishes and uh, she oh has. Oh my a, God! What a saint she must be. Oh, she is. She, in addition <laughs> to doing the dishes, she listens to this. And, so you're sitting. There. Yeah, she's yeah. doing the dishes, and you're like, uh, 1842. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. And she's got a, a little <laughs> notepad, and uh, if she, you know, something comes up, she wants to make a note. She'll make a note, and I go, "What? What was wrong with that?" And and just shut up, keep going. And but she she that's for me uh, uh, reading it out loud is hugely helpful. It gives it's a different way of experiencing it uh, from reading it on the computer, and um, and the, and then having her comments. It's the same thing. It's a family member who who uh, uh, is not afraid to tell me exactly what she thinks. Interesting. Now I, it's funny that we're talking about her because 
when I was doing a little research on you, I was watching one of your uh, riveting speeches there. One of oh, the, those yeah. <laughs> pros and politics. And I, I say that just with with, with all love, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I right. understand how like the, I just feel for you going on these book tours yeah, and having yeah. to talk. So uh, I'm watching one, and you mentioned that you were in uh, just starting out, living over in Bunker Hill, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Is that right? In north end of Boston. North end of Boston, sorry. Right, just across the river. Yeah. But you made reference to the fact that uh, you know you had had your kids in in trying to do this do these things writing and and i was wondering if you were so just starting out where you kind of stayed home dad and yeah, she yeah. was working right she was a, an attorney and uh she was she was it was the only money coming in was was melissa's and uh and one of the reasons we decided to move to nantucket really the reason was that we had been living we we lived in the north end of boston got our first house in rentham which is a was gave her about an hour and a half commute at, into the city, and I was at home with the kids. Ethan, our our youngest, had just been born, and his older sister Jenny was three, and um, yeah, she was. You know, it was tough for her. She was working all day and then had this big commute, and you know, and I was at home with the kids, and that's enough to inspire terror in any mother's heart. And um, <laughs> and so she had grown up on the Cape, on Cape Cod. We had met teaching sailing on Cape Cod. And her train broke down, you know, which was sort of the last straw. And she took out Lawyers Weekly, which is the, the, the lawyer's, uh, you know, internal Classified. Thing, you know, for, for jo- yeah. jobs. And there was a job uh, on Nantucket. And uh, neither one of us had spent any amount of time, knew really no one on the island. But we thought, hey, if we were on an island, uh, there couldn't be much of a commute. Uh, uh, we like sailing. We like the Cape. Uh, what do you think? And so... Uh, she, she submitted, you know, she she inquired, and we came out to Nantucket in June and fell absolutely in love with it. Our parents were like, are you crazy? Uh, right. All our lawyer friends were, you were really insane. Was she on track to be partner at the at Yeah, this firm? she was doing very well. And, um, but it was, my gosh, it was obviously the best move we could have made. Um, this is just a different kind of community. Uh, people who don't live here don't really understand it. It's, uh, you, know, you look on the map, you're way out there. Oh, but, yeah. But uh, there's no, nothing like this place in terms of the intensity of the community in a good way, uh, and in terms of what's going on culturally. Uh, you know, there's everybody has an interesting story why they're here. And totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's why I'm doing this. Right, right, <laughs> and and it is unique. It was hard for me uh, to be in the beginning because I was at home with the kids. I didn't have many friends. So were you writing at the time though when you were with the kids? I was trying to. I was trying trying to to get a feel for like was you put the kids down and then you'd scribble. What were you working on at that time? I I really I was then a sailing journalist. I had worked at Sailing World magazine for four years. I was freelancing and so every now and then I'd get an assignment and go off uh, and cover it and come back and and write it. But I was getting more and more interested in the history of the island. Uh, I had already started getting interested in history in Boston and I just really got into the history of Nantucket. The problem was I just didn't have a lot of time to do much of anything. You know, if you're at home with kids, you know, you lose 25 IQ points. You <laughs> never have more than 30 minutes to yourself. And, th- and that's not a time to do much it's of hard. anything. And so, um, and, and I'd have help with babysitters and stuff, but it, my career really wasn't going a lot of places, although I was getting learning more and more about the island. It was when Ethan, our youngest, uh, got into first grade. And uh, suddenly he was gone till 2.30. 
and <laughs> in the afternoon, I had, oh my God, I had like six hours. And that's when I wrote my first book of history away offshore uh, about the island. And, uh, and that's... So you're living in Boston writing about Nantucket? No, no, that's oh. after we moved Oh, that's here. after you moved so here. So I'd, okay. I'd been on the island for more than 10, uh, for almost 10 years. And... Um, you know, not going. My career was pretty stalled, uh, but I was at and home. Did you with think kids. you were going to be a historical writer at this point? You just knew you no, wanted to be a writer. No, I, I mean, I w- yeah, I was a sailing journalist when we moved here, but I was getting more and more interested in Nantucket, and uh, even uh, uh, published some academic type articles about the island, and even thought about going to grad school, which would have been a total disaster. But you did. You have a master's, right? Yeah, in English literature. I was thinking of of. Anyways, we didn't go, go down that road, but it was when the Mill Hill Press here on Nantucket, uh, Bud Egan, who used to own Marine Home Center, um, he uh, loved history and had this small press, and um, he, off, he gave me the chance to write away offshore, and that was really when it all clicked for me. I realized writing history, uh, narrative nonfiction was really um, what I wanted to do. Now, did you, when you first started out writing, you have to. That's first of all. That's a lot of microfiche, right? Back in the day, when you're just yeah. like looking oh, up all total, these. Yep. No internet. No internet. And that was something that I thought was interesting to talk about. When you first started to research, you would just go look at old, you know, records and whatnot. And you're trained as as a as a literary right. person, and but so not a historical literature. Completely different. So the research is is although you have the, some of that training, it's a little bit different, right? Absolutely different. Yeah. And I, and you know, this was before internet. But I was really lucky. I was on Nantucket, where all the stuff, pretty much all the stuff, is on island. It, uh, the town building has incredible uh, town records. Uh, the Nantucket Historical Association had just organized uh, its docu- you know, all its documents and things in a way that you could you know, figure out where things were. And it really right. hadn't been that way before. And so the timing couldn't have been better for me. And then the Nantucket Athenaeum has its own really important collection and so it was just amazing to have those three sources what within three minutes of each other and <laughs> yeah. so I uh, I hung out um, at those three places while working on a way offshore and really learned the process of, of researching a, a primary source material uh, from the ground up and it was it was a great sort of self-education and uh, and I don't know where I could have done it anywhere else because it was all right there. Right. Yeah. I guess you're you're sort of like a DIY historian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> the the original. It's very punk rock of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely felt uh, kinetic and uh, unhinged in, at times, but uh, that's the way I. Like I was going to call this podcast "Confessions of a Self-Taught Historian." Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, because you kind of learn it as you're going along, but uh, you know. Talk to me a little bit about that first time when you uh, were ready to put it out there, because that's a huge moment for any writer. And I'm fascinated with writers. You know, I, I just uh, I think that to me the process is, is something that I find really engaging. And I want to know about that moment when you, you have it done, the manuscripts done, and then you're sending it out, and then you get some feedback. Yeah. How does yeah. that process work? Well, uh, to, and, uh, with me now, I've got uh, a editor at uh, Viking Penguin uh, named Wendy Wolf that I've had ever since In the Heart of the Sea. So we've been working together, you know, for almost it's getting close to twenty years, and she's wonderfully tough, old style editor. 
Uh, one of her favorite comments beside a, a paragraph is, you are better than this. <laughs> Which, you know, gets, you know, okay. Ooh, that cuts that there. That cuts. Jeez. And makes you, th- and it's interesting. It makes you think. I yelled at is her. Is that finally. in red pen? Uh, <laughs> it's, she has terrible handwriting, so it's hard to, dis- <laughs> but I, I, I've got. That's a rough note, though. That's a rough note, but she's also really good at pacing and just telling me, uh, you know, we don't need to know this or, you know, we need to know more here, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's a traumatic, you I, the way it is, I write half the manuscript, uh, send it to Wendy, and um, and that's you know that's where it's really okay. What does she think? And uh, and and usually you know she'll she'll read it, say uh, you know great, keep on going, and um, and then I'll finish the book, and and that's where you know she really rolls up her sleeves and and dives in. And for me, that's almost the most my most favorite part of it because it's almost like a conversation uh, with her, where you know she'll have these comments, probing, asking for more, you know, telling me to dial it back, uh, and and you know, then I rewrite it. And the rewriting, I really love rewriting. It's just great. You can just feel it getting better, and you're over the hump of having those original words on the page, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and it's it's just great and. Uh, uh, and so we we get through it once, and then she goes through it once more, one more time, and it just gets more and more refined. And then I share it with people who are experts in the field, you know, who who have written books about sure. the topic. And that's scary because um, you know they know more about this topic than I do because I write these books not because I know everything about it. Uh, quite the contrary, I, I write them because I'm curious about them. I want to read a book like this. Um, you're yeah. looking for the story. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I have it's. I always have questions, like uh, the book I'm, I'm uh, that'll be coming out soon uh, about uh, Washington and Benedict Arnold, Valiant Ambition. I, you know, I just didn't quite understand what happened in the middle of the revolution. You know, we hear about the beginning and the and end, the end, but it went on for eight years. You right. Know? So, um, 1776 to. Seven, well, it actually began in 1775. And then it wasn't until 19, uh, 1783. 1783. Uh, but the Yorktown, the final battle, was in 1781. And, um, but yeah, so I, I, and so I get that feedback from people who know about the, the topic and, um, and then integrate that one last time with uh, Wendy's stuff. And I also send it to friends who have been reading my stuff for years. It's and, just crazy to me because here you are, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there in a in a field where you know you're talking to these other you know the foremost in in these these fields in the history departments at these usually universities right many of them yeah <laughs> you know that takes a lot of uh oh yeah the courage to go out there and, and 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 put yourself out there like that yeah well you know it's 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 a very intense process of researching and so i've been reading the stuff their often their stuff and others and um yeah and it's it's daunting and um, and uh, it's it's but you know better to um, you know it's it only if it can make it better it's 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 something worth doing. So when you're in the middle of writing, you're are, are you so focused your day to day writing that like you literally uh, it's just there's not a lot of interaction. Are you are you that focused or? Are you... Yeah, um, uh, Melissa can attest to how weird I get, but it's no, I get really into it, and so uh, my typical day begins at nine in the morning. I'll work till one, sometimes two. Uh, break for lunch, usually walk into the pharmacy and, and then walk back to the house. I'll work for another couple of hours, walk the dog, 
um, work for another couple hours until Melissa comes home, which can be six, sometimes seven o'clock, and um, and then you know sort of wind down, watch a lot of stupid TV. Right, just to, the dumber the better. Oh yeah, I, I in fact <laughs> like what? Give me an example. I enjoy the ads. I mean, it just um, I'm a big voice fan. So really, yeah, and, and I'm now <laughs> come back to Idol, watching that, watching the final week of that. Wow. And where are we in Idol? What, uh, se- what season? I don't even this know. This is the last season. This is it. They're pulling the plug. Are they? It, yeah, it was time. But <laughs> but it's there. Says it, a true fan. Yes, and they're going. But they're why, going. Wait, out. I don't even want. I watched it. Maybe why is it time? Is it just run its course or something? Yeah, it has. They they cycled through a lot of different judges and um, and you know it's just different. And so um, but I think it's going it's going out with dignity. It's nice to see. Uh, I love that you're so you're so serious about it. You're like, they're doing it really well. I'd like to congratulate them. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I yeah, so I, I just sort of troll through the TV and watch stuff. Just to just sort of decompress it. Yeah, I like to watch like it's old TV a, shows, you know. I guess, uh, so what happens when you uh, are in the middle of uh, the book, you're in the process, you're writing it, and uh, you can't get past the point. What's the longest you've walked away from something that you're like, I just need to put this down? Have you ever done that? Like, I need to just walk away for like a week and just not deal with this Um, because you're caught or the narrative that you had in your head isn't fitting the research. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, what happens is that we decide to go on a vacation and I think I'll be done, but I'm never done. So we end up going on a vacation that, you know, we, we scheduled and paid for uh, at the worst possible time when I'm, you know, like working up to the. The, oh, your the poor end. wife. And um, and so I, try, yeah, it is. It's tough. And so we, I go, but I'm always, you know, obviously distracted. And um, uh, and then and so those breaks actually are very good. And and um, give off often they're perfectly timed to just let me come at the come at the end fresh, and uh, wanting to to take it home. Uh, and you know, and life is life. Things happen. You know, you yeah. people die. Marriages happen. Uh, you want to visit your kids and your granddaughter, and so you know you have to, you have to be a normal person to a certain extent. Of um, course, but um, there is an element of distraction that when I'm in the midst of writing a book, I, I know I, I bring to just about <laughs> any <laughs> right. There's a... any interaction I have with others. Now, tell me about that moment as a writer when you get the first check. When did you first start making money as a writer? Well, um, I feel like that that's a, to me, those are moments as any artist, any puts himself out there. It's a pivotal moment when you're like, I'm actually doing this. Yeah. When well, was that moment for you? Well, I, um, I did a, it was just before we moved to Nantucket. I, uh, wrote a humorous book about sailing. I saw it. The, I saw the one with the boat going over the waterfalls. Right. Well, that, yeah, this actually two of them I did. I was kind of the, <laughs> which Mark, showed me that you had a sense of humor. It was right. very, uh, I was kind of the Mark Twain of, of, uh, humorist of sailing for a while there. Yeah. My, I was the editor in chief of yachting with no C, two A's, a parody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it has things how to walk down a dock and instructional instructional article of eight pages and, you know, stuff like that. A and brief it, history on knots. Yep. Things like this. Yeah. <laughs> Would that have worked if we shot that down? Uh, no, that I think we did something with nuts. Anyway, did you? Yeah, it was really fun. It was just me and basically another couple of people, and um, it it it's now sort of a cult classic in a way. Um, well, the cover alone. I yeah. Mean, if you if you haven't seen it, you can Google Nathaniel Philbrick, and it's a picture of a, a sailboat going over Niagara Falls. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, that was good. And then I did a, another little one called The Passionate Sailor, and I got paid for that. And um, 
you know, but I was getting restless with sailing, doing something about sailing. I really wanted to write. So I, I, I was also writing poetry. I've published uh, poems in a, a number of journals. And, uh, but that, I don't, it, I was finding it hard to be a poet all the, t to live as a poet, to always be on, always looking for stuff. I just found my, um, it was hard. I it just, it just wasn't going to be where it would fit. And it, But you got published. Yes, yes. Um, actually, when I was working at a sailing magazine and, and when we moved here, um, I, I did a few. But that gradually, uh, I, I moved from that into the history stuff. And uh, But it wasn't until 1993, I think it was, we moved here in 86, that I, I got the chance to write uh, Away Offshore. And that was the first, did you have an advance for that? or did, did uh, Yes, a, a very minimal advance, but, um, you know, it was How did that come about? Uh, that was through Bud Egan. Um, and Mimi Beeman, uh, who used to be uh, the owner of Mitchell's Book Corner, and mm -hmm. she was the literary czar of Nantucket. She really, she knew all the writers, uh, she, uh, and a very, and a very uh, wonderful woman, but had a fairly daunting manner. And, you know, she told people exactly what she thought. You knew where you stood with her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Bud sort of brought her on as a consultant to sort of, um, you know, see if I was on the right track. And, and she was hugely helpful. I mean, she looked at an early draft of a preface and just said, I can't sell this, and sent me back. And I was crestfallen, but it was the best feedback I've ever gotten. It, it, I can say that the two months I then worked on a different preface were when I began to get the voice I've since used in history, um, realizing, you know, don't pretend to be an academic. You're not an academic. Interesting. Now, you, said it, you said it, the voice, because yeah. everyone has it. So you, you have a narrative. Yeah. And then you start writing this narrative, and then you realize you're writing, maybe you're working on this chapter, and the narrative, you almost, you don't feel like you're being yourself. Exactly. It you're doesn't like, oh, feel I'm right. just copying this, uh, this, this paragraph looks like something I read out of a, you know, another, another book that I've written or. Yep. No, it's, and, and what I do with each book is I work uh, months at the preface. Usually you write the preface at the end, but I begin with that, you know, and it's just a short, it's my way in and I, I, I try countless different approaches and and eventually find yes this is the way in it it helps me thematically but it's so much developing that voice that that what how I want to phrase it and each book is different each book has a different way in and it it always drives me crazy because it takes me so long to figure that way in and hmm. um, uh, and you know, it doesn't get any easier with each book. It's because. But it's there's a little different. bit of a confidence that comes. I mean, here you are now, and that next book that you have coming out, you you have an approach. You have uh, all this behind you, the experience of what goes into it. You know what to expect, and there comes confidence in that, right? Yeah, or do you still I guess. have the? Do you still <laughs> do you still worry about the voice? Yeah. No, I think this. My my experience is that whenever I think I have it figured out, I haven't. Um, you know that I the. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always, for me, it's, it's always a struggle in a good way. It, it's always trying to work at something. I, I'm not one of those people who, who is a fluid writer that can sit down and it just, you know, you know, I write my 300 words a day kind of thing. I'm, I, 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 I have, I stop, start, I, I gotcha. go back and forth. And, um, and so it's, you know, I, I can, it's 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 always in a way 
moving around. It's it's a struggle. And but well, like I said, that's part of the process. And what the one thing all all the books I've written have helped me realize is that when it feels like it's I'm going nowhere, it feels like you know, come on, why can't you figure this out? That's part of it. That's the most important part of it. Don't despair. Um, uh, you know, work through it. Just keep working at it. And and that's the hard thing for I think at least for me about being a writer is how much you throw out and uh, and how hard it really is um, and and then once after all of these these false starts it starts rolling it's great I mean there's nothing like it um, yeah when you hit takes, that gold yeah but it, it just takes a long time I just that uh, that timing of just being able to like follow that narrative and keep it going and then trusting yourself in that process and knowing that what you're doing is really important if you have an idea and you're following the narrative like making sure that you're sticking with it and straying from it is a really is hard it is hard with historical writing right and and the thing that i enjoy is is being kind of provocative is is taking not the usual view of things um and and what i've found is if i'm not feeling like i can't believe i'm just saying i'm saying this I'm not. Hmm. I'm not on it. You know, there's, there's got to be. Can you give me an example of that? Um, well, that, you know, like the one I wrote, Mayflower, um, uh, which is a story about the Pilgrims, and you know, what could be more boring than the story of the Pilgrims? And I was, I was seeing them, uh, you know, not as as revered saints, but as flesh and blood people that um, uh, could be horribly brutal, but could be incredibly spiritual, and and all this kind of stuff. And it just, it felt like, I mean, how I could just see people saying how dare you say that and thinking well that's that's but that's what needs to be told and so right uh, i think uh i was i don't know if we've talked about this i was a history major at gettysburg and one of my uh classes the professor timothy shannon i went back and looked him up before i knew you were coming on he's (laughs) a he's big on the he did the 12-year war and uh his his um specific uh specialty was the indian captivity experience and you talked about the rawness of the pilgrim yeah. experience and stuff. So a lot of these people, uh, you know, pilgrims would be at nighttime. These Indians would raid yeah. the villages and come and grab them. And they'd just be, he's really into that. Well, that's just the, that's uh, with Mayflower. The second half is about King Philip's War, which is just that kind of stuff. It recounts how Mary Rowlandson, who was uh, a woman who was abducted, by by native people in the midst of this horrible war and just went through hell as did her captors and um it's it's you know for me you know people just i didn't really realize what happened in our own backyard here and and how brutal and awful it was uh, and and so for me that was like wow you know <laughs> it's intense uh, it's, it's very intense and it's and it's in each b- book of mine i'm i there are surprises. I mean, I don't quite yeah. know where it's going. And that in the research too, and I, I can only say this, obviously you're a pro and I'm just a guy that went to college, but I remember reading a book and you're talking about the brutality. And I remember reading, it was called Black Jacobines. And it was about uh, the a ship coming out of the Caribbean, coming up to uh, near Florida. And one of the accounts that they took the slave out, threw him on the deck, cut him up and made all the other slaves eat. Yeah. Like really, I remember. I remember actually, like page turning, page turning. It was yeah. just totally riveting, even though it was horrific. But you're in barbaric. Yeah, yeah, no, and and that's the thing about um, you know all my books are about America one way or another, and you know we have a 
tendency to sort of see it as, as sort of this tableau of patriotism and all that. But it was horribly brutal and violent. That's, it's essential to who, what America is, you know, how America came into being. And it, we do this country um, a great disservice if we try to, um, you know, paper over that. Uh, and, and for me, that's the really interesting stuff is, is, is um, the dark, turbulent, messy reality of what happened and so that that's that's what i'm always trying to to get at that's the that's part of the truth yeah the, well yeah. right i mean i mean that's but that's why every generation has to uh return to these stories um you know there's no such thing as a definitive work of history uh that uh, it's it's every time every generation has new issues and concerns uh and uh and as a consequence when it looks to the past it will see and and feel uh, emotionally connected with different things and and so um you know the in a way the past will always be new and fresh because uh our perspective uh will always be changing yeah well that that goes into the telling of history you know like you're you're in a position it's a very powerful position you're you're retelling history so you have to be as much as it pertains to you telling the truth Right. Well, yeah, I, I'm. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, what is your definition of the truth? How do you work towards the truth? What well, you know, one of the things for me, um, I have a hard time with the concept of heroes. Um, I don't think anyone. I think we use that term way too much. Um, you know, no one. People can do heroic things, but that doesn't make them a hero. That makes them. You know, they are people. They're ordinary people who did an extraordinary thing and and so often we want our historic figures that did inspiring things to be perfect um and they they i don't i have not yet met a perfect person and i am highly doubtful that they they existed in the past <laughs> and um and so what fascinates part of what i feel is the truth telling is not backing off of saying you know this guy is is one of might be the hero of this story, but you know everything he did wasn't perfect. You know that's that's I think that's important because and does that feed into a lot of your narrative, especially with the new book you have coming yeah, out? How yeah. did how did that play well? Out? You know, for example, Washington. I, you know, there's a tremendous tendency to to see him as the perfect man from the beginning to end, and I think he was one of the more extra, extraordinary people in the history of this country and the world. But uh, a lot much of that was he had to overcome real issues that he had he had huge anger issues as we would call them and um and he learned to control his temper uh he um and and but you know in the revolution uh, he messed up sometimes he was not the greatest he was not all that great a battlefield can you i'm general. just curious if you can cite just off the top of your head if you can't like an example of his anger issues like which in your research you came up with reading something that, that oh yeah well I, well if you could give us an yeah, example. Yeah, well, when he was young, when he was in his teenage years, uh, he was apparently quite a handful. And there's comments <laughs> about, you know, this guy could be something if he could ever control his temper. And then uh, it's very interesting, even late in life, you know, even now he's president, you have, uh, and his eulogy has uh, one of his good friends who knew him very well, Governor Morris, said, um, you know, he, he had passions uh, I'm paraphrasing, but passions too intense for a man, and yet, and Jefferson would say how he he his habitual control was amazing, uh, but 
you know, there was lurking beneath there was demons yeah well and and just tremendous he had tremendous feelings and that's why i think he could uh hang in there the way he did the patience he had the endurance he had to slog through eight years of uh, war of independence and then be our first president for you know eight more years beyond that uh at at the worst and most tumultuous time uh, you had you had to be someone who had inner fires <laughs> uh, to to hang in there. And but he also but he had learned to control his personality as best he could, and uh, and you know so he's remarkable there. But in Valiant Ambition, I, you know, I it begins with him messing up really terribly at the at his first uh, battle, big battle uh, of the Revolution, uh, the Battle of, of of Long Island, and then being forced to evacuate New York. And, um, you know, I think it's important to look at that in an unvarnished way. And it makes all the more remarkable his ability to learn from his mistakes. There are very few of us who can learn from our mistakes. You know, most of us are who we are. Yeah, we think we, you know, and, you know, if, it, if we mess up, it's somebody else's fault. Um, Washington had that ability to go, okay, you know, what's not working here? That's interesting. You just made me think of uh, Winston uh, Churchill's yeah. quote, which I'm sure you know. <laughs> Let's hear it. Th- those that uh, do not, re- is it respect the past or doomed to repeat it? Or those are... Yeah, I don't know if that's Winston Churchill. It isn't? But uh, I think that's... Damn. But but yes. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if that's entirely true uh, because... Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think we know the past to a certain extent, but that's not that doesn't help us in the present. Seriously, when you're in the middle of the present, you see things. Then why write history? Very good question. I think history, if it teaches you anything, it's humility. That don't don't think you can look look at the past and figure out a program of of perfect conduct in the present because the present is messy. You know, we don't know where it's going. You know, you, <sighs> right you, now is yeah, for sure right, and that's the way it was. It's always been. Washington didn't know. That's an know. interesting point. It's the, yeah. So, I mean, the worst thing you can do is yeah. Okay, let's you know, let's read this, and and we'll then for then as a consequence learn what to do. We're always making it up as we go along, and uh, you can look back in hindsight and say, oh yeah, there's where we messed up. But you know, we're doing stuff now that we think is great. Even the, but in a hundred years from now, people will look back and say, "What the heck were they thinking?" You know. Um, yeah. And and uh, it's you know the arrogance of you know if you think you know it's very easy to disparage the people of the past. Look, how could they do that? You know, you know they didn't know what they were doing. They're terrible. But the f- fact is that kind of judgment is unfair because we're doing you know we're we're in the middle of a moment that um, and we don't see the consequences of our actions. Uh, now and so I, I don't I don't know for me the past is endlessly fascinating and and potentially illuminating I just I, I get increasingly skeptical that it's really helping yeah and I wanted to ask you that someone who spends so much time in the past how do you what do you think of the present climate that's going on in the country with with uh, obviously that there are political candidates what i'm referencing oh it's crazy but you know we've had equally crazy moments in the past and i think that's a really good point so, you know yeah i mean someone like donald trump you know you just go oh my god i i can't believe this is happening to my country but believe me there have been political campaigns where stuff just this crazy uh uh occurred and uh, you know i think the amazing thing about america 
is that um, it is kind of a carnival. Circus. <laughs> a, a circus. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the only way uh, you, know, you can get at whatever the will of the people is. I mean, it's ugly. It's inefficient. It doesn't uh, work all that well. But it's the only system uh, that has survived. I mean, look how long we're around. And you know how how many other countries are the same are have have this kind of staying power when it comes to their government? Well, I think I mean, because I, the danger is you 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 let the tensions build up and then there's a revolution, and the revolution just tears everything down, and then often an autocrat comes in, the tensions build up, and then there's another revolution, and it's a cycle. And um, so, where are we in the revolution? I think what we Knock on wood, I think we have harnessed a, a political system that is as close to a constant state of revolution as you're going to get. I mean, we're... we're it, you so know. you're not a Bernie Sanders supporter? Sure. I mean, I just think the, this revolution stuff, revolutions tear stuff apart. They don't necessarily build stuff. I mean... Yeah, but you could argue sometimes you need to, to break it down to start over again. Yeah. To get yeah, it right. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I have a little more confidence in our institutions than a lot of people. Um, that, that given the feedback that people are getting in this electoral process, uh, that uh, things will change in a productive... It'll, I mean, that's the frustrating thing about this. I've, I get frustrated a little bit with that. I'm, I myself we wouldn't talk politics but I do feel that uh, there's a there's a percentage of populations of Americans that are uh, like sheep and I know that sounds but they're just kind of and it's it's very it's a complex issue because it's tied with religious beliefs and it's tied with economic uh, factors and okay let's, I, I, I struggle with that yeah and it's These, all they're not objective thinking people yeah they vote against their interests uh, consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the world. I mean, this has <laughs> kind of been the way it's been going. Look at the revolution. Most people weren't in our American revolution. Most people weren't into it. Um, you know, only about a third of of uh, the American population was... Was actually fighting? Well, even less was fighting, but actually was, you know, was wanted this kind of thing to happen. And events took over and, and off we went. But, you know, it's... You know, I don't... Dis I, I get frustrated and I despair, but ultimately, if my writing about history uh, gives me, you know, I'm usually a very dour person. I don't tend to think the best of anybody, but I You're do. Your glass, glass is half empty? Right. Always has been. But <laughs> I have, the one thing all of this uh, uh, spending time in the past has done for me, uh, I, I do have a certain sense of um, hope that that uh, what uh, the system we have in America will somehow will muddle through um, you know it's it's I don't well, I feel like we don't have a choice yeah you know we're stuck with it so we you know our choice is obviously with our vote I guess but and, and we're forced to deal with it and yeah. uh, I think that you're just seeing you know with this particular go around is is a little more circus like but just hearing your perspective that this is not new yeah, is really important factor to think about when you're thinking about what's going on. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy climate. You know, I, I, I Bernie is great. I mean, the the kinds of things he's railing against resonate with me. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I just want I want government to function. I do not want stalemate and bickering 
and relentless. I mean, it just people will the people that need the most will be left out. So now that I'm sitting here with a historian, give us uh, some some examples, if you can, of stuff that happened back during Washington's the, the, the politics of that day and age. Yeah, well, you know, it's. It, it's amazing how dysfunctional things were. Uh, See, this is a good, I think this is an important thing to point out. The first Continental Congress, you know, we think of it all, oh, they were geniuses who wrote the Declaration of Independence. They did, but soon after that, all of basically the, the leading delegates left, uh, leading the third, fourth tier in there. And there wasn't enough power uh, in the fe- national government to tax the people, to really do anything effectively. And uh, it was partisanship, uh, factionalism, sectionalism that was driving things. And it drove Washington crazy because, you know, nothing was getting done. And, um, you know, and that's the thing. uh, If government doesn't work, (laughs) what is the purpose of it? And, um, you know, so this is my frustration is this whole strategy of just throwing it all out and, you know, whatever you've got to at some point you have to make things work and that is much harder than tearing them down and i think well i i would say that that probably to support your argument for hillary i think she's just been in the process a lot longer well actually no sanders has too but i'm yeah the, the diplomatic and world diplomacy i guess issues right listen I, you know every and everybody has their own point of, this is this is america <laughs> this is right. the, you know this is a democratic republic you're influencing people people want to no, know no well no <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but uh yeah no Who's and I, nathaniel going to vote for yeah no but i i you know i i have um you know as long as people are trying to make things work um you know let's let's go for it I just thought of something. Do you worry about alienating fan bases and stuff like? You have a fan people that like your writing. You have fans. Uh, sometimes you want to keep certain things from that. Are there certain sometimes you know want to speak about things because yeah, you're nervous well, it I, might. Yeah, well, I, you know, politics is not where I, I like to venture because I, 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 and think, I shouldn't either. It's my fault for going there. No, no, and I think <laughs> and I think politics are is an individual choice, and uh, as is spiritual. You know, I mean, all right. that. And I absolutely respect everybody's right to to have the point of view that they have. And so, um, you know, it's obvious a lot of my point of view comes from my family, you know, how I grew up and, and who influenced me. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, what our political beliefs are is a very complex stew of of of, of things. And so I, I respect everybody's right. And, you know, and I, I really don't know precisely what my political beliefs are in any that's good you know it's i just you know so i have a that's a good place to be i think yeah i have a to not align with yourself yeah i'm not a very dogmatic person now were your parents my mom um you know my mom was was worked for the democratic party was you know was a democratic committee woman and and politics were very important to her not so much my dad Uh, my uh, grandparents on my mom's side were republicans and very proud of it and um you know and you know so i i heard all all uh, you know all sides growing up and so uh you know and and you know i i i it's been interesting to watch the ride you know when you grow up i remember you know i saw when we my dad used to teach at the university of vermont um and uh one of my first memories is being on his shoulders watching john f kennedy speak uh, during at a burlington um uh, thing during 
you know, the, the election. How old were you? I, I would have been uh, four, something. Wow. Four. And you remember it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, um, uh, but, you know, and, and so having seen these things, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a process, a cumulative process. And, and um, I, I think it's important that all of these voices be heard and that we, we try to um, integrate it in a way that, that once again makes things work for the betterment of this country. Hmm. Let's go back to the writing for a second. I want to ask you about the uh, writing history. You spend a lot of time in history. Have you ever, most writers dabble, have you ever written anything other than historical stuff? Do you, have you ever been working on uh, fiction? Yes, I, I have written a, uh, uh, a lot of short stories, uh, novel. Uh, yeah, I think a whole novel actually, but that uh, should never see the light of day. And at one point I told Melissa, if I tell you <laughs> one more time, I'm gonna try to write a novel don't let me. Um, I just don't, I don't have the ability to create a, uh, an imaginative world. Um, it's I, a different type of voice. Yeah, it's, it's just, I don't, I, I'm not good with dialogue. I, I don't make that stuff up well. And I, I enjoy telling a story and finding the, the hot, you know, the, the arc of a narrative. But um, I, I just don't have uh, that ability to, to create you know, a fictional. So, so I just love the fact that somewhere on a desktop, there's a couple of uh, fictional. Yeah. You know, it, you have to do it. That's part of the process. Right. Though, right. For like, me, for, it was for music. It's the same thing. Like I've tried to write in different genres that I can't, you know, I, I can do it. I, I can write in my own voice, which took me a long time to find, but I can't write jazz. I can't, I couldn't write a jazz piece. I couldn't write a, I could do country pretty well. That's what I can do pretty good in rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I know what you're saying though. It's uh, I, I, I mean I would love. To to, I think that. everyone, every writer wants to write the great American novel. Um, and um, but you know it's just not in the cards for me. Who are some of the your your favorite uh, fictional writers? Oh geez, it's all over the map. Um, I. I, I wouldn't know where to begin. Are you a Stein, Steinbeck guy? Oh, I've read everything by Steinbeck. He is terrific. And I discovered him late in life. And uh, he's just, oh, he, he and, and he has a Nantucket connection. You know, he wrote. I don't. I he, didn't know yeah, that. he wrote uh, a good portion of East of Eden while summering uh, out in, in Sanctity, um, uh, in Sconset, um you know, back in the 50s. I didn't know that. And um, and he grew up in, you know, Monterey, and which was a... a Cannery Road. <laughs> shore whaling uh, community, and ended up in Sag Harbor, Long Island, which is the Nantucket of Long Island. So the whole whaling stuff was a part of... Uh, you know, he was kind of dialed into that. Now, he, he's great. Um, and uh, one of the great joys of my life was um, a woman named Susan Beagle, uh, who... Uh, with her husband, Wes Tiffany, who used to uh, run the um, Massachusetts Field Station uh, uh, years Out ago. Out on pulpits? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was a Hemingway scholar. Uh, and, and the two of them would um, put together literary conferences. And one of them was a Steinbeck conference, Steinbeck and the Environment. And it met here on Nantucket uh, at the... Uh, we ha- I remember having... And, Elaine Steinbeck, uh, Steinbeck's wife, uh, came. came. Wow! And since I was the, and I wrote a paper uh, that that I delivered about uh, about Steinbeck's whaling uh, connection, and um, and 
and there was all sorts of professors and stuff, and it was very. Everybody wanted to sit with Elaine, and uh, and Susan decided since I was the only non-academic, it was safe for me to (laughs) (laughs) Melissa and I to be on either side of her, so it was a buffer. And she was just a tremendous woman. And um, uh, I just think it's funny that you consider yourself a non-academic yet you're in the academic world essentially, right? Well, no, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have tenure. I, I don't teach regularly. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I have gr- immense respect for that world and couldn't write my books without the, the books that are produced from that world. But uh, ultimately, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a writer uh, living in, in my home. Right. Let's talk about Nantucket as there's so many writers out here. Yeah, yeah. You know, have you ever read an Ellen Hildebrand novel? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I know how. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I have not read one of her novels, but I know I should. But I guess it's a, it's a summer read. That's what. I'm yeah, told. yeah, yeah. And, and Nancy Thayer is a neighbor of ours. Um, a, a great novelist. And now Rob Cucuzzo. Yes, yes. He's he's got Who's, something coming up, right? Yeah, his story was great, and uh, I think that's what he he was the one that uh, made the introduction for you and I, and I think yeah. it was important because I I like. Uh, his story and Rob and I connect on that decision just like you had to make to really go for something mm-hmm. you know when you decided you're going to be a writer yeah and that moment I think is really important in anyone's evolution right and and that's why your story is important and that's why this this thing you know because I think people if they listen to it they can listen to your story they, they're inspired by it yeah yeah no it's it's it, it it's been a great pleasure for me to to you know have people who actually read my books. It's it still doesn't cease to amaze me, and um, and it is really fun to talk to people about the books and get their perspective on you know what resonated with them. And like I can't imagine having someone come up to you and hold your book and have in wanting you to sign it. Yeah, yeah, no, you it, know. So it wait, doesn't hold get on, a, hold on. Look what I bought. Oh, yeah, you bought my shortest book. I Listen, I, I have I have <laughs> yeah, adult yeah. ADD, and I have a pen, and I'm going to take a the, Okay, I'm now signing a copy of Why Read Moby Dick. All right, um, hold on. Let me get this. is going to be for the social media component. Okay. So I need to it's, get better. It's only 127 pages long, so we now know why Doug went with this one. <laughs> and, uh... Okay, I'm signing. And you, well, come on, you got to write something in there. I am, I will. Write, write me something nice. So Doug. You're, uh, you're, uh... uh Okay. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. I don't know. Who is in the belly of the whale? Yeah. Not bad for someone under immense pressure on radio. Listen, I think you do quite well. Is this your first podcast? Uh, could be. Yeah. Nice. I've had so many. Uh, I had John Shan recently, and it was his first time doing it too. Yeah, it's it's quite the rage, isn't it? I, you know, it, I it just. It, something that needed to be done just probably like you I kind of opened much like you went into that library that first night and kind of got down that rabbit hole this has been my rabbit hole no and uh, and I know our my kids listen to them all the time it's it's a very much an emerging um way and I I just love to listen uh to people and um it's you know it's we're all around the campfire one way totally. or another. And books are just a, a version of that. And so this is kind of a way to get back to the basics of, of, of conversation. Exactly. And, you know, I think that that's the whole point. I wanted people to be able to tune in and you get a much better perspective, I think, too, than if you were just a, a lot of, and as you know, media, you have, 30, you know, 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Book tour is a little different. You have an hour. But uh, long form conversation. I feel like it is a, is an art form in, in itself of just listening to two people. We're, we were complete strangers. Right. 
and now we're sitting down having this conversation. It's just, it's amazing to me. It's really cool. And it's no, and I think it's great. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, you go into it um, cold is, is really the best kind of conversation to have because often if you, got, if you know the person well, you've already talked out the interesting stuff. And, and <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, I, um, I, I think this is a good way to approach it. That's cool. I'm not done with you yet. I want to talk about Dylan because you mentioned Dylan. Are you a Bob Dylan head? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see Bob Dylan? Uh, yes, I I saw Bob Dylan uh, on Long Island. What's the uh, uh, what? That would have been in two thousand six. And uh, yeah, he uh, he's huge. I he's a guy that like you talk about uh, going back and reading books that you remember from your childhood. He's every time I revisit Bob Dylan, a line. I'm I'm into She Belongs to uh, to me. Yeah. You know, she's an artist. She don't look back. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Ever and he it's went through. So... He went through a couple of years there where it was the gods were speaking to him, and um, it, it it I you know it's amazing. He he you know he was channeling it in a way that uh, oh man uh, is is just amazing. Yeah, and he is one of the and and he 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 keeps changing over the years, and you know you don't quite understand where it. Why he's gone away until ten years later when you realize, ah, you know, I mean, he's just so far. <laughs> he's ahead, ahead of himself yep. in a lot of ways. Yeah, and ahead of us. Re- yeah, he is. Yeah. Did you read Chronicle? Yes. Oh, that was a great book. I mean, that scene when he's pouring the whiskey over his head in the grocery store, and he was living in Woodstock at the time. Oh yeah. And he go. He was just so sick of being recognized and stuff, and he just, you know, just acted out. I've heard that someone told me this that when he tours and stuff. He doesn't stay in like a fancy hotel. He'll find he and his dogs go find some like motel way out in the middle of nowhere, and just he sits there with his dog, just a true eccentric, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's you know he's it's it's uh he is something, and uh, you know I, I the level of the, the the poetry in his songs is just amazing. Oh my god, I know. I just I keep uh, and they're good tunes too. Oh yeah, and his you know melody and just. The, his progressions and his chord his arrangements and just uh, I think Isis you know that tune yeah oh yeah I met Isis on the first day of May well and you know and and we that... chopped through the dawn one of the lines is we like who we chopped through the dawn yeah and there he is he's telling a narrative and you know yeah. which is so different from what he had been doing before and yeah he just tells I the married story. Isis on the first day of May <laughs> but I could not go on so I thought I'd go oh man what a jam yeah yeah. I just love that line. We chopped through the dawn. Yeah, it's no, heavy. it's poetry. It's, he- it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Oh, uh, Dylan's so important. It's yeah. good to hear that. Yeah, you know, as a writer, that he's no, a- and and it's it's funny. I went through a Dylan jag about three years ago, where I just you know, because as you, I grew up with him, and as a consequence, you know, you have gaps and things like that, and and I just went through a process of of working through and uh it was just one of the great three months of my life just you know every day there was a new album and uh, <laughs> yeah you know and and re-listening and and it was really good do you ever think about what it'd be like to meet him i've thought about this a lot like what would i like i don't even know if i could yeah he would probably be completely unimpressed with us so. i know i i'm always like all right maybe i could be like i don't i'd have to talk about like engines of like the 1962 i don't know whatever something <laughs> so obscure or like farming techniques that like no, this I, is I, why I, he's in a motel somewhere with his dogs he just has no interest <laughs> i'd love to know what you two would talk about because he'd be into you you're a history guy he would yeah you know? i don't know i don't know 
you never got to who's the most famous person you've had a chance to meet um that you were that you were really excited it was cool to meet uh i i, I mean I, I i don't know how to answer that really is that I'm, tough yeah yeah or someone that you respected that you were that I, it was I, I don't know i've you know i've um uh, met Barack Obama when he was on Nantucket, you know, fundraising that, you know, I like he was, Barack. He seems yeah, like a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that was really That's neat. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's, um, I've, I've, uh, met, uh, George W. Bush, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to, um, uh, you know, I, it, I don't think history has been fair to him. Well, history is, you know, I don't know what's fair to anybody, really. I mean, that's why you, once you get perspective on people, uh, you get, it, it changes from what it was in the middle of it. And, uh, uh, you know, as I said, I, I, making judgments are, are something I have great hesitancy to do, uh, you know, when we're this close to it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's going to just wrap it up with what you thought about, uh, you know, there's so many interesting people out here on Nantucket. You know, so many different people. Do uh, you find a lot of inspiration from living out here? Yeah, I mean, for me, since I do hang out by myself and my dog so much, uh, what is so incredible for me is to is to walk up Orange Street onto Main Street, and there's people around. And you know, this time of year, I know most of them um, in in one form or another, and it's and it's just great. Uh, and and then you know, you everyone has you can develop a group of friends that um are are really um you know it's it, it can be a, it's a fairly intense social scene in the winter you know and who would have thought and then the summer is great because a whole new group comes in a whole different dynamic it's furious and and kind of exhausting and frustrating uh by by the end of august but that's kind of cool too and uh you know it's where else do you have this kind of you know different paces uh and you know, I, I'm not one of those people who say, oh, God, summer, you know, I can't believe they're taking over our island. I, I, you know, none of us would be here. Well, you got over that pretty early. And I think that I'm tired of experiencing that having been here I'm, uh, only five years, on, full, one year full time. But um, you just have to deal with it. That's just part yeah, of it. It is. That's it the... is part of it. And you just got to be. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, people say, oh, the island isn't anything like it used to. Well, you know, nothing's anything like it used to. I remember when I first, we first got here, everybody was throwing up their hands, and I was thinking, well, it looks pretty cool to me. That's and an interesting point, and I've heard other people say that. You know, I've had other people on the podcast, and I like asking about that. You know, Nantucket's changed for the worse, and people are like, you know what? It's just, it's changing, but it's always been changing. If people were bitching about the same things back then as they are now. Yep, yep. No, it's it's been... Why don't people like change? Be- because... <laughs> Because they, you know what? We had a golden dream. We had an experience when we were 17 on a beach on Nantucket. It was the greatest experience of our life, and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> and, and so people are beating up uh, the island for the fact that it isn't as good as it was then when actually t- change is a part of That's life. That's just hindsight. Yeah. And it's 50-50. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Nathaniel Philbrick, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. It was a real uh, treat. It was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, man. Okay. The first thing I remember knowing Was a lonesome whistle blowing And a youngin's dream of growing up to ride On a freight train leaving town Not knowing where Would you guys think, huh? That was a great talk. 
Nathaniel Philbrook, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come and sit down and talk. So many interesting topics there were covered. Um, just very uh, interesting how this is the, cir- the political circus that we're seeing now is just, you know, is nothing new. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised. But, uh, God, the writing of history, man, I just have the utmost respect for anyone that was uh, willing to, willing to uh, sit down and, uh, and retell it the way he's done it in such an interesting and uh, entertaining way. And uh, so cool. And since then, since that, since our talk, and I'm recording this, I've, I've since uh, been reading his book, Why Read Moby Dick, and it's amazing. He really has a, a, a great... He's got a charisma in his writing that's uh, really apparent, and that's obviously why he's done uh, done and, and continues to be so successful, and he does have a new book coming out that's uh, going to be exciting about Washington and his relationship with Benedict Arnold. So... Uh, just, I couldn't be more thrilled that someone uh, so accomplished uh, took the time to sit down and talk to me. And I, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, because I sure did. And uh, so with that, that's episode 31, guys. Thanks for the click. If you have any comments or questions, guys, uh, feel free to email me at insidethewhaleack at gmail.com. And uh, if you got any ideas for uh, an episode, shoot me uh, an email. I'm open to it. Or uh, follow me on Twitter. I do do the tweets. And uh, my Facebook page, and I'm working on a website right now. Hopefully, we'll have that up for the podcast. So, with that being said, we're gonna uh, we're gonna let the replacements take us out. Uh, right before we finished our conversation, as uh, Nathaniel was leaving, he told me he was a huge replacements fan. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, really? I was blown away. So, Nathaniel, this one's for you, man. Enjoy it. All I wanna do is drink beer for breakfast. Christmas